Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast. Hope you all enjoyed the extremely long uh, extra footage from last week. Seth, again, that was awesome to do. So uh, we got to talk about the Planeswalkers. As with me, as always, Richard, what's up? Hey, guys. And Seth, as you know, I'm Saffron Olive. Hey, what's everyone. Up, what's going on, Chad? Not much, dude. Um, you ready for another cast? We There was a long one last week. Richard, Seth, that was, was like craziness. Spoiler season, it does that. Yeah. It makes everything long. Alright, so just so to cover the rundown of this episode, we're going to talk about spoilers, basically, and um, some fish mail that we have been trying to get to, but, um, you know, spoilers just got in the way. So, sorry about that. We're going to get to your fish mail uh, towards the end. So, Richard, why don't you just, let's just dive right in. Why don't you start us off with the first spoiler card? Uh, Okay. So the first spoiler we want to talk about is uh, Charles' new favorite, Thopter Spy Network. It's <laughs> a blue enchantment. We don't see many of those. Uh, so two blue-blue, so four converted mana costs. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control an artifact, put a 1-1 colorless Thopter artifact creature token with flying onto the battlefield. Whenever one or more artifact creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, draw a card. So, so yeah... This is um this is the card I've been tweeting about. This is gonna be my crucible of this of the set, all right? <laughs> Seth, I think you can I think you can always get behind a crucible esque type <laughs> purchase. So what did you initially think of the card? I wanna hear what you two think about it first. I think it's cool. I mean it is like vaguely bitter blossom esque. Uh, and also, like, Bident of Thassa. Uh, it also costs more mana and doesn't do anything if you don't already <laughs> have an artifact. <laughs> so I can see upside and downside, which I guess makes it uh, very Crucible of the Spirit Dragon-like. So I think you're on the right track as far as comparing it to Crucible. Thank you, thank you. I, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> I did A card that's completely <laughs> overshadowed by another card. <laughs> yeah, basically. Or multiple other cards in the case of Topter Spy Network, Biden and Bitter Blossom. Well, so this was my reasoning, is, um, I guess as much as you would need a reasoning to buy a Crucible <laughs> type, uh, card, um, I just thought it was, uh, to me, I thought it was better than 49 cents. Like, to me, when I looked at this card, the first thought I had when it was sitting there at 49 cents was, why is this cheaper than Alhammerit? That, that doesn't, I, I don't really think that makes sense. So then I kind of evaluated the card a little further. So it is a four mana enchantment. And even with having the artifact in play, you don't get the token right away, which kind of sucks. But every creature you did have out before this, uh, you now have that Bident, uh, you know, ability on there. So it could potentially get you some value right off the bat when you play it. Uh, you know, your creatures, Hopefully being flying like Thopter, whatever creatures out there. Um, and they can already net you a card when they come into play. And to me, I felt like the triggering the first part of the ability, like if you have a Darksteel Citadel, like you get that ability pretty much for the rest of the game. I mean, there's no really way to get rid of a Darksteel Citadel in standard. So that was kind of my reasoning. Maybe it's just akin to Seth's uh, budget videos. <laughs> and, uh, you know, somehow this is better than 49 cents. What do you think, Richard? Yeah, I don't know if there's enough artifact support 
in standard for this card. Um, it, it's going to be like too slow and janky for any other format, uh, competitive format. I think this will be a casual all-star. Uh, I think a lot of people will like it. Um, making the Thopters 1-1 kind of annoys me. I'd rather have the card be cheaper and make 0-1 Thopter tokens. Because, <laughs> like, when you think Ornithopter, that's what you think of. So I guess right, they're other yeah. kind of Thopters, but... I think this will go into a lot of EDH decks and casual decks. I don't know if it's powerful enough for standard. It's pretty slow, um, and we, you need like a critical mass of artifacts to get this to work. So standard, uh, modern, I definitely, I don't know, it's way too slow. I don't know if you just throw it into oh, infinity no. deck for some reason. Yeah, I don't no. know what you would do with that. Or maybe you see some like weird like vintage combo deck. I don't know, right? <laughs> you never know. Like these weird, really weird things that say artifacts <laughs> might work in vintage. Okay, that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> well, this would well that that blue red like in Soul Artifact was kind of like really quickly became popular and then kind of fell very quickly out of favor. The the thing is like it could potentially come down before turn three because you could like play a you know, a land and then a um, spring leaf drum and then maybe get it out by turn three, which doesn't seem too terrible. That's a lot of work for a 1-1. One, one. <laughs> like, hey, man, you get a 1-1 one, one every turn. So, <laughs> so have you just the 1-1. One, one. Can you make a deck with Thopter Spy Network and Pia... What's, yeah, what's, what's the other person's name? Pia and... Something to yeah. I, I think that's legal. I don't know if you want to do that, but I think technically you could. Yeah, you could. I don't see why you couldn't. Pia and Kieran Noir. That's the card. So, our card is probably terrible, but it may be worth more than 50 cents. (laughs) I'll give you that one. (laughs) Yes. Yes, thank you. That's all I need was the validation. I could see it climbing to like 60 or 65 cents, Chaz, so I think it's good. That's all I need, man. (laughs) If this is buy listing for, you know, maybe 10 cents more, I think I, I think I found a winner. Score. Alright, moving on. Yeah, let's move on. Abbot of Carol Keep. One colorless, one red. So two converted mana costs. A 2-1 human monk. Uh, prowess. Uh, when Abbot of Carol Keep enters the battlefield, exile the top card of your library. Until the end of turn, you may play that card. So, uh, red's draw mechanic on a 2-1 body with prowess. What do you think, Chow? Well, this is another card that I, I thought could be better than, you know, the current price tag on it. I, I just, to me, I think it's better in some ways than Iron Shaman. I know a lot of people out there are comparing it to Iron Shaman, and this is just a totally different card. I mean, Iron Shaman, you need to morph and then Megamorph, right? Has, yeah, Megamorph, uh, to get the ability, and then it's still just a 2-1. I mean, this is at least has prowess. It's a 2-mana two 2-1, two which is pretty competitively costed, and well, you obviously would suck to play on turn one and get anything other than a land because, yeah, I, I would assume you really can't play anything else. Um, it it is pretty good as the game goes on. I mean, it's a two mana two one, which is fine. And then the prowess at the end of the you know later on in the game could make this still relevant. So I think it could be in like a blue red or like whatever Grixis Delver type list, or it could be like alongside in a Jeskai uh, base list, uh, alongside a Seeker of the Way or something like that. That's my Ooh. take on it. I, I, I kind of like it. The thing is, though, if you cast this on turn two, like, literally in standard, there's no card 
you can hit that you can play off of it. So if you want to cast it on, cur- on curve, all you're doing is exiling the top card of your library. Well, so you already, other than a land. Well, you already have to play a land. Yeah, you already have the land. land. So yeah. All right, so you turn one high arc. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you can't have it for bad on turn two, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I do like that if you play it on turn six or something, it's better than most two drops because you can get an extra card out of it and you have the mana to cast it. It just, yeah, I think it does yeah. weird things to your curve though on turn two. So I think you're in this weird position where you kind of have to play it on turn two or else it's going to get overshadowed by a siege rhino or something. But uh, so it wants you to hold it in your hand, but then you're holding it in your hand to like kind of draw a card and play a worthless creature on turn four or five. So I I don't know about how that'll work out in practice. Yeah, it's a, yeah I don't, yeah, I don't really like this card. Like, I, I understand the value you can get. Like, on turn five, you cast it and you get another card and you do something. But, like, on turn five, do you really want to cast a two-one? Right? And on turn two, you can't play it. So the best case scenario is you play it on turn three, you get an underwhelming two-one, and then you get... A one man, a card for free potentially. So I, I don't know that it has a home. I, I don't see it being that powerful. And you know, in aggressive red decks, you don't want it. In mid range decks, like, can you even afford a swap for this card that essentially cycles itself, right? If you get lucky. So I, I don't really like it, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, again, uh, just my kind of interpretation is. It is a creature in red that gets better as the game goes on. And I I am just a sucker for creatures that uh, are not do-nothing for the entire game. I mean, the nice thing about Irish Iman is as soon as you can control when you uh, un-megamorph it, so you can wait until you have mana up and can potentially play the card. This you don't really have that control over. You just have to use it when it enters, enters the battlefield. Yeah, I, I, yeah, again, I understand that. So, yeah, I guess... Um, the Megamorph is one on Irish Shaman. So I guess I think you should buy some though. I, I think you should put that along with your uh your Thopter spy network. Yeah, that's not that's not nearly as bad as a crucible. <laughs> no, that's true. It has to be like extremely like low tier. <laughs> yeah, like Crucible people said was the worst card ever printed, I think, in some of the, the forums <laughs> right before Holy I bought hell, it. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> No, I don't quite think this is the worst card ever, ever, but um, it could get there. All right, all right, moving on to a card that looks a lot more legitimate. <laughs> it's also a two-drop. Despoiler of Souls, it's double black, so black, black, red mana cost two. It's a 3-1, and uh, it can't block. And you can pay two black and exile two other creature cards from your graveyard, return Despoiler of Souls from your graveyard to the battlefield. So a two to cast, three one, that can reoccur itself. What do you guys think? I like it. I mean, the the activations is a, is a little much. I mean, it's two black and two creatures, so that's like they're really. I mean, I I understand that it comes back into play, and I guess creatures in your graveyard probably wouldn't have came back or did anything in there anyway. So you're getting value out of them, but I mean, it is uh, still kind of a steep uh, activation cost. Other than that, I think it's fine. Yeah, I think uh, the activation cost is really killer in uh, for older formats, and in standard, this is fighting with really powerful delve cards, so I don't know if exiling two creatures to get a 3-1 that can't block back from your graveyard uh, is that much better or any better than using those cards to delve out 
um, a treasure cruise or a Tassiger or so, uh, an actual powerful card. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a good card. Um, if there's an aggressive black deck in standard, this will definitely go in it. I kind of view it as like a persist or an undying creature. You can probably get one activation out of it. Um, you know, more than that. Like, if the game's going that long, I don't know if a 3-1 that can't block is going to help you. Uh, but, you know, I think it's a 2-to-cast it's a 3-1, three one, so if the opponent has no blockers, it's, it's hitting for a lot. So I think it's a good card, and I think it will see play if there's a aggressive black deck. So the question is, are there enough other aggressive black cards to go with it? Yeah, I mean, I think it works really well with, like, a, a Mogus's Marauders. Um, so, I mean, it's giving you a ton of devotion to... Ooh. Yeah. Mono so. Black Devotion. There's that. I mean, it, again, it's a 3-1, so it's pretty, it's a, it's a good power, uh, for its initial mana cost. Again, like Seth said, the, uh, buyback activation's pretty steep, but, I mean, hey, in, in an aggressive deck, I don't think really you're gonna be delving too much, other than maybe like a murderous cut or something like that. So, I, I like it overall. I think it could, I think you're right, Richard. I think if like, Mono black, uh, like suicide aggro is a thing. This will definitely be a part of it. Well, we do have some cards for that, uh, archetype, which we'll get to. Okay, so let's move on to a controversial enchantment here. Uh, Molten Vortex, one red enchantment. Uh, you can pay one red mana, discard a land card. Molten Vortex deals two damage to target creature or player. So there's been a lot of buzz, uh, on social media about whether this card uh, has a home with Loam or even in Legacy uh, lands decks. So Seth and I were talking about this earlier. So Seth, do you want to talk about Molten Vortex? Yeah, uh, I think that Molten Vortex, from my perspective, is just worse than Seismic Assault. Uh, the nice thing about Seismic Assault, even though it's hard to cast because you need three red mana, is that you don't have any activation cost. With Molten Vortex, paying one red mana every time you discard a land is actually going to be a pretty big deal in Eternal formats. Like, it's really draining... Um, a lot of your resources for only two damage. One thing I do like about the card is that it might be a good way in standard for a mono red deck to hedge against flooding out. Like maybe you can just play this and know that if you happen to draw six lands when you only need three or four, you can actually get some value out of those lands. But I don't think the comparison to Seismic Assault is a very good one. No, I, I absolutely agree. This is not Seismic Assault. Um, if anything, I mean, maybe you could run, like, two copies alongside the Seismic Assault or something like that. I don't know if the deck list is too tight that you really couldn't include this at all. Um, the the big thing about those uh, aggro, like, Seismic Assault loam decks is that, like you said, Seth, uh, the, the triple red is just killer sometimes. And uh, maybe this could be a way to alleviate some of that, uh, some of those issues. I thought that initially too, and then, you know, kind of realized that you're right. The, the red activation is, it, you know, it, it's a little innocuous, but it is a big deal in, you know, modern, uh, especially. Um, standard, it might get there, uh, like you said, as like an insurance policy, but, um, you know, I'm kind of holding reservations on it for right now. It's not a bad card by any means, uh, but I just don't think this is where you want to be in, like, an um, aggressive red deck on turn one. should do the math. If you run, like, 56 mountains and four molten vortexes, <laughs> like, how many turns does it take to goldfish? 
Well, I mean, hey, on on camera, you'll be able to to scry, you know, the mulligan down to be able to get it. <laughs> scry and see an extra an extra card to see if you get it. <laughs> but uh, we'll I'm, I'm reading a lot about this yeah. card uh, because people are saying, can it go into the legacy lands? And the consensus pretty much no. Um, it performs the same role as Punishing Fire, but the thing with the lands deck is you want to be able to play from your graveyard, so everything can come out of your graveyard, which uh, Molten Vortex, once it's milled into your graveyard, it kind of stays there. So it, it really doesn't do anything special. It, it already does what Punishing Fire Bird of the Grove Bills does, plus that can be uh, comboed with low much more easily and uh, gamble. So, meh, this card's a little overhyped. Yeah, I agree. Uh, moving on to one of my favorite flavor cards, uh, Priest of the Blood Rite. Uh, so three black black, five converted mana cost. It's a human cleric. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, put a five five black demon creature uh, token with flying onto the battlefield. At the beginning of your upkeep, you lose two life, and it's a two two. So five mana for seven seven uh, worth of power toughness, and at the beginning of your upkeep, you lose two life. What do you guys think? You go first, Seth. All right. Well, I think the card is pretty sweet. Like, that's a lot of power and toughness for a five-mana investment. Like, definitely above the curve. Being across two bodies is nice uh, because you still get some value through one removal spell. And the drawback isn't really that big of a deal. Like, losing two life sounds bad, but it's a 2-2. Like, it's not that hard for this thing to die if your opponent's attacking you. Uh, it's going to die right away, so you're going to have a 5-5 demon for 5 for free once you chump block with the priest. So I think it's a solid card. Not sure where it fits in standard exactly, but I think it is very flavorful and uh, potentially powerful. Yeah, I, I'm going to echo those sentiments. I think it is flavorful. I, I, I like the card. I think it's very cool. Um, the fact that it's split into two bodies is also a plus. Uh, the negatives, I mean, I don't know where this would fit in quite yet um i mean certainly i think it could fit in somewhere uh it it is a powerful effect for five mana um i just don't know where it could find a home uh just yet so but i do like it I, i think it's pretty good yeah i really like the card i think it can be played like it combos with uh alesha who smiles at death um it does there must be other things what was well, that card that was like triple black white X? Was it return oh, uh, X creatures uh, with power? Mortal servitude. Mana cost? Yeah, what was that? I think it's uh, mortal servitude. Yeah, yeah. Was that was that converted mana cost or power? I think, I think it was power. Oh, uh, maybe. I'm thinking of Rally the Ancestors, which I'm pretty sure is converted mana cost. Mortal Servitude was... Converted Mana Cost. Converted Mana Cost. Oh, oh okay, forget that. But that sucks. <laughs> if there's any, like, blink effects... Like, there's, there's a lot of ways to kind of... Abuse, well, there's not a lot, but there's potentially a lot of ways to abuse this if you have blink effects. So I think it'll be cool. Um, you know, black is the color of sacrifice outlet, and plus you can always chump with it, so you can always get rid of its drawbacks. So I think this is actually a pretty cool card, and uh, maybe it can top a Suicide Black curve, but... I don't know, but it's definitely one of those cards that it's cool, maybe it's playable, maybe it's not. Like, we'll just have to see how the format shakes up. I mean, if anything, like, if somehow, you know, your Liliana heretical healer didn't flip, (laughs) 
you know, this would be a pretty good body to throw in front of something to make her flip, but does it it dies to languish, but the demon does not. So you can play this yes. <laughs> and then languish away the priest. Yeah, being a five five is, is actually pretty sweet. Like blocks siege rhino, blocks Tassiger, doesn't die to languish, so that's definitely a vote in its favor. Yeah, for sure. And you know, this for a five in black, I mean you're pretty much uh, ensuring that you'll have a body to block Ojutai or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. So let's let's get a little tribal here. Harbinger sure. of the tides. Blue, blue. Two converted mana cost. The two, two. You may cast Harbinger of the tides as though it had flash. You pay two more to cast it. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you may return target tapped creature and opponent controls to its owner's hand. So Merfolk with double blue uh, and it's converted mana cost. So people are saying this will be sweet with Master of Waves. It will be sweet in modern Merfolk, etc., etc. What do you guys think? You wrote about this card, right, Seth? Yeah, I wrote a little bit about it in my uh, my last article. Uh, I think it's it's pretty good. Um, I don't know enough about the intricacies of modern Merfolk to know how good it is there. It seems like it should be good. Like, they're playing Tidebinder Mage, which does sort of the same thing, but it only does anything against, uh, what, green creatures and white creatures? Is that what that yeah. taps down? Uh, green and red. Green and green red. And red. So yeah. it's very good in some matchups, but in other matchups it does nothing. This card uh, is good in almost any matchup, and it's also a pretty... Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty tricky answer to things because of the flash. Like, it's it's sort of like an Aether Adept in some ways, or a Mana War. But the flash ability is could potentially be a big deal, so I think it's a good card. Yeah, I agree. If if any Murpho deck were playing uh, Tidebinder Mage, I see this as basically a strict upgrade. I mean, it you know green and red is pretty uh, popular and modern, so I guess Tidebinder Mage would you get that initial value. This has to have that little stipulation that um, it has to be tapped, uh, but I mean, I just see this as a better Tidebinder Mage in more instances than Tidebinder Mage. So I think it, it could make the cut, for sure. I wouldn't go as I far like as it. to say that it's better than Tidebinder, because Tidebinder locks down permanently. So if you, like, lock down a Goyf, it's locked down until Tidebinder dies. Um, so this is, like, a, a one- or two-turn respite. Um, so it, I think it will see play a sideboard tech. It's one of these, like, situational Merfolk cards that um, might do something like it's it's good enough for legacy, uh, Merfolk. It'll, it'll be good enough for modern Merfolk. Like with Vile, you can yeah. you know bring it in as a two converted mana cost creature. It's a two to cast two two, which is perfectly acceptable in uh, those Merfolk decks. So I think you'll definitely see play, uh, you know, as either sideboard tech or you know kind of like a pre boarded card, like a one or two of in your deck. Um, where it's more interesting to me is standard, you know. There, there will be time. There will be a period of time where Thassa and Master of Waves and Harbinger are all legal. So what does Short this pressure. mean? Right, like this seems like it has potential. So I want to see if Mono Blue Devotion can come back. Um, we're missing some solid one drops, but uh, you know, like Seth said in his article, it's a weird time where having two blue mana costs in your symbol is a is a positive upside. Where usually yeah. that kind of just makes your heart, your, your spells hard to cast. I mean, at least for a little while, anyway, uh, until October, um, a good 
argument for mono blue devotion making a comeback. I mean, you have the two. This basically is the missing piece to what mono blue was missing. I mean, like you said in your article, Seth, um, there really wasn't like a a good two drop to go into your three drops, and I think you know it just found it. Uh, yeah. To go back to what you said, Richard, like I understand Tidebinder Mage is like. The point I was trying to make is that Harbinger is better in the instances where you want Harbinger, and Tidebinder Mage is better in the instances you want Tidebinder Mage. Because, yeah, definitely. Right, because you can't... Right, Tidebinder Mage locks down a Goyf permanently, but can't do anything about a Tassiger. This comes in and blows someone out of a Tassiger in Modern, where you know they probably can't play it again for a little while. Yeah. And the, and the other thing is that maybe the comparison isn't to Tidebinder Mage, but Modern Merfolk typically plays like a couple copies of Vapor Snag. So maybe this guy is just a Vapor Snag that gets pumped up by all your lords. Like yeah. maybe I mean, that's I... the main deck slot is replacing Vapor Snag and not Tidebinder. I mean, I think you'd be hard-pressed to replace Vapor Snag because it's just such a good value card and is doing... I mean, I just don't understand why you would want to remove Vapor Snag because it's doing what you want plus dealing a damage to them. So I guess it's still advancing your board. I mean, I guess maybe it could. I don't know. I think maybe Richard and I, and I found like that where you're not playing Tidebinder Mage, you're playing Harbinger. When you're not playing Harbinger, you're playing Tidebinder Mage. So maybe if if anything, it could be like a sideboard swap. I don't know. I just don't. I wouldn't want to remove Vapor Snag. I think but that's a is, really good addition. To but this is a Vapor Snag that gets pumped by your lords. You can Ether Vial into play. It'll get Island Walk and actually deal damage. Like, I know it's not quite a Vapor Snag because it can't deal with an untapped creature. But I think there's a legitimate argument that, in Merfolk in specific, this is better uh, than Vapor Snag. So my my experience is you need the one converted mana cost spell because um, oftentimes you'll have, like, three mana, and basically all your cards cost two. So you you only have one free... mana to do something, and that's where Vapor Snag goes, or you know, that's where Spell Pierce goes, things like that, so uh, the one mana is actually a pretty big deal in these Merfolk decks, so I don't think it'd replace it. Um, it might be Vapor Snag 5-6, or maybe yeah. you split half-half, but uh, mana efficiency is a big problem for um, these Merfolk decks. Everything yeah, costs like, two. <laughs> right, I think that's a great point. Plus, Vapor Snag is literally like you're only out to like something getting targeted by Splinter Twin, so... I mean, that in itself is probably a good reason to leave it in the deck. Yeah, that's a good point. Although, uh, you can use this in response to the first tap trigger um, to disrupt the combo. You can, yes. Yeah, so you this can. does right. technically answer the Splinter Twin combo. It does, yeah, you're right. So, I mean, yeah, I guess, uh, I mean, it's definitely good enough. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, we're trying to, like evaluate every single little turn, but I think it's definitely going to see the light of day in modern. It's definitely good. Sure. I don't know if it's $8 yeah. good. <laughs> no, no, probably. It's pretty Maybe, expensive. I don't know. I mean, Tidebinder Mage, Mage is like under a dollar, and that that seems main deck play like is a three of in Merfolk, so I can't imagine this maintaining $8, unless Mono Blue Devotion is like a tier one deck in standard. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to the Merfolk Nemesis, we have a reprint from Onslaught. Goblin Pile Driver, one colorless and a red. Goblin Warrior, he's a he's a one two with protection from blue. Uh, whenever Goblin Pile Driver attacks, it gets plus two plus zero until end of turn for each other attacking goblin. 
It's currently sitting as the most expensive rare in the set at fifteen dollars. So yep, what do you guys I've... think about the uh implications for modern and standard here, this legacy staple kind of being reprinted here? I've definitely been the guy he's grabbing in the picture, so I know what it feels like to be pile drive. Um, this is pretty big because this just made this card modern legal, and um, we, me and you, Seth, have already seen a lot of implications in terms of financial cards just left and right going, just so much hype around this card, and for good reason. I mean, it's a very powerful card. Yeah, it's not too often that legacy staples get printed um, into modern, so it's a unique situation. But is it that good? Like, you you don't have ringleader, you don't have matron. Like, what does this guy do <laughs> in, I think in modern? Right? Pile drives. <laughs> I'm really scared of it in standard, where you have uh, master. Well, in dragon fodder into hordling outburst, that's a lot of goblins and a lot of power for pile driver. But he's still just an X two dies to like shock. He does. That, I mean, he died true. to shock. He died to shock back then too, because shock was in onslaught. So I mean, what, 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 was Goblin Pile Driver, Driver a force in onslaught standard? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> oh yeah. Did, you've never you've never played against like Goblin bidding. Uh, Mike Flores and all of them were totally pushing Goblin bidding, and yeah, this was a beast in that deck. Yeah. I mean you. It, it's literally, it, you need to remove it or you lose. So in that aspect, um, it's just as good as any other creature in this dice or removal uh, argument where you you better remove it or you're going to lose. So, As far as modern, like, is there any reason to play goblins over just playing burn if you're going to play that style, like a red aggro deck? Like, aren't you better off yeah, just see, now this, this more was, that's a good, and Yeah, that's a good argument. Um, I think... You know, burn is so efficient. I think they could be two coexisting decks. I mean, I don't see why they couldn't. But I mean, like I think it's it's slightly different. So, like you could go goblin guide into pile driver, smack you around like double goblin grenade, and like you're dead, right? Like, so it, it has the potential to be very explosive. So I think, you know, it it could get there as you know more of a slide deck kind of deal, yeah. but it's just, like, goblin-centric. Uh, it's different from Merfolk. So Merfolk have the cheaper lords, right? Mer- all the Merfolk lords are at two. Um, with goblins, I get the feeling you're, you're trying to go wide. You're just swarming the board, and then, like, one hasty lord to kind of finish it off. So I, I think there's a place for it. Um, goblin Grenade is a very powerful card. So I think Goblin Grenade is what you're kind of centered around. Um, it's not going to look like Legacy Goblins. Legacy Goblins is no, not absolutely. really a Goblins deck. It's a... Wasteland were shot in port deck <laughs> that just happens to play random goblins for fun. Um, <laughs> standard is where I think this can get out of control. Like, if if Goblin Guide is reprinted in Battle for Zendikar, oh my god. <laughs> Not happening. There is no way they do that to us. Goblin Guide is a Goblin Pile Driver? Like, oh. nice. Well, I think the very nice interaction you have in Modern is that you could play Goblin King and Blood Moon. So... I think that interaction's pretty good. And also Legion Loyalist is pretty sweet with yeah, first strike that's, and trample. Yeah. That's that it makes a really scary pile driver. Yeah. So Ooh, oh Legion uh Loyalist gives you all your creatures get trampled in first strike? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes they do with the uh, battalion. Oh, that's gross. So you can go 
you can go Legion Loyalist, Pile Driver, um, Goblin Chieftain, or Goblin King. I think it's and, Chieftain uh, that has haste, yeah. Chieftain has haste. Yeah. Uh, it, King is legal, right? Tenth yeah, edition? It's, yeah, it's in tenth. So, I mean, if they have a mountain, <laughs> it's game. So. I just People like the fact it. that you could. I think the fact that you could play Blood Moon and, like, Goblins is pretty good. This, it's definitely interesting. I mean, Merfolk plays Spreading Seas, and um, Blood Moon is way more powerful than Spreading Seas, so maybe it yeah. is worth a slot in a deck like this. Well, yeah. Spreading Seas is just for the uh, the Island Lock, not... Right. Uh, but, I think I but if they're, if Merfolk can afford to waste four slots or three slots on Spreading Seas, maybe Goblins can actually afford to play four or three Blood Moons main deck, which is I mean, you get free wins just from Blood Moon. If you're a deck that can play four main deck Blood <laughs> yeah. Moons, uh, you I can you just play it. win. I don't think you want the mountains. I think it's the, you have no colored meta. You just yeah. slap it in there for fun. Yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, the, the added fact that Goblin King gives the mountain walk is just like icing on the cake. Yeah. So, Goblins, everyone, they're coming. <laughs> yeah, and uh, where, Merfolk... Where are my boars? Where are my boars? Yeah. What happened? <laughs> Merfolk literally can't do anything about this card. Yeah, so. that might <laughs> that might be uh, that might be the downfall of yeah. Merfolk here. If goblins run yeah. all over the place and this pile driver just goes to town. Yeah, they literally can't do anything about it. So again, I've been the guy on the cover or on the on the art. That's me. <laughs> just getting pile drive. It's awful. All right, so here's a really interesting card: uh, Demonic Pact, two black black enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, choose one that hasn't been chosen. Demonic Pack deals 4 damage to target creature or player, and you gain 4 life. That's choice 1. Choice 2, target opponent discards 2 cards. Uh, choice 3 is draw 2 cards. Choice 4 is you lose the game. So, Suicide Black right here. All in. You have 4 turns to do something. What do you guys think? It's got to be. It's got to be one of the coolest cards they've printed in a long time. Like it's so flavorful. So like I love this card. Unfortunately, I'm not sure it's competitive playable, but I still love this card. It's just it captures the flavor of making a deal with the devil so well. And and maybe it'll see play. I think like you said, it's a suicide black card. I don't. People have been talking about trying to play it and then like kill your own demonic pact before it kills you or like sacrifice it or donate it or do something like that that doesn't seem like a legitimate strategy to me but using it as like a stoke the flames that draws you a couple cards and hopefully kills your opponent with a bunch of for example warriors or something in standard before uh, the time runs out on the pact i think that could work i mean would it really be that bad to like kill this with your own dramoka's command like is that the, the value you're getting out of this card to just blast it with your own Jamoka's command, you're already getting like so much out of it. Well, like, would it really be that big of a deal? I if think you don't it's have fine. Jamoka's command in That's hand, my right? worry, That's the yeah. problem. <laughs> I, what? Like, if you don't have the Jamoka's command in your hand, right? Like, you you basically I mean, over, over the course of this card, I mean, I would hope that you would draw. I mean, you're drawing two and then, what, three more cards for each turn it's out? So hopefully, I mean... I mean, you're right. Like, in the one instance that you don't have Jamoka's Command, like, that once you sign on the dotted line, it's over. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, and that would really suck. But, I mean, between this and, like, 
isn't Abzan already playing like one Reclamation Sage and some Dramokas Command anyway? Yeah, at least the Dramokas Command. The thing is, though, like, what are the odds of that happening? You get to draw two cards off this. You have four draw steps uh, since this doesn't activate till your next upkeep. So you're drawing right. six cards. <clears throat> I don't think four Dramokas Commands in a deck is enough to make that a viable strategy. Like, I don't think the odds are in favor of you drawing one in that amount of time. Right, and if it gets countered, like, <laughs> then you're just going to sit there and be like, well, <laughs> okay. So that's what the discard two cards is for. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I guess so. I guess you once you pull the Dramokas Command, just make them discard two cards and pray that they discard a <laughs> dissolve or something like that. I'm calling it right here, guys. Flash standard playable. I think, yeah, I this, really this, do this think is it standard is standard playable. playable. It's going to be Suicide Black, so. like... It's it's one of these kind of gambits, right? Like, if you're playing a Suicide Black deck, if you haven't won by turn six, well, you're not going to win anyway, so you might as well have this, like, card kill you, right? Like, <laughs> so, you know, the, the pressure of, you know, draw two extra cards, deal them four damage, make them discard their answers. Like, if you, ha- if you can't win with that, then, like, I don't know, you're, exactly. you're going to lose anyway, so it doesn't just matter. Drive the ni- just drive the knife into your gut and just, it's over. <laughs> so the the only other, like way is for this not to see play, I think, in a Suicide Black deck, is if there's, like, a, a Hell Rider-type card. Well, well, there is, isn't there? Oh, you mean, uh... Horchie? Horchie? Like a real Hell Rider <laughs> card. <laughs> but I, I think I think we will see this. I think if there's a Suicide Black, and I think there's enough cards, like, with Liliana sitting in there, uh, we've seen aggressive black creatures... A, a black 2-1 is a pretty common occurrence nowadays, so I, I think if there's enough cards to make this deck, I think Demonic Pack will go in there, and I think we'll, well see people play it. You want to talk about budget or, like, casual brews right here for standard? I got one for you. <laughs> oh boy. You got Demonic Pack, and then you play Starfield, and then you're running Banishing Lights, so all your creatures end up being creatures anyway, so what are they going to do? Just not block demonic pack as a four four every turn, and then right before it dies, you just you just banishing light it. <laughs> and if they kill banishing light, you get demonic pack back. There is technically there, there is technically that donate card in standard too. I can't think of the name of it at the moment. Oh, it's uh, that inspire card. It, uh, no, well, there's Daring that one, and then there's like, like a that. there's like a six mana sorcery too that where you exchange a permanent of the same type. Oh, yeah, yeah, there is. So you could technically make, like, a Donate Illusions of Grandeur-type combo deck. Like, it's probably uh, horrible, but... I'm sticking with black-white enchantments, man. I like Starfield of Nyx, then Languish. Dies to Languish. <laughs> there you go! <laughs> then you could just pull the trigger whenever you want. Languish, already warping the format. <laughs> there you go. Really... Starfield, Demonic Pack, Languish. You got Banishing Light. It turns into a 3-3, you block. Demonic Pack comes back and it's all reset. <laughs> we broke the floor back, guys. This, we, this, we we turn off there the you go. Two weeks in a row, we had solid deck lists. <laughs> you could you could see them on the YouTube channel when Seth ends up sleeving them up. <laughs> all right, moving on to my personal favorite. My personal favorite, Vryn Wingmere. Vryn? Vern? I don't know what, what this place Vryn. is. Vryn. Um, we're going we're gonna to go with Vryn. I'm going to call him Vern. <laughs> Two <laughs> white, so three converted mana cost. It's a Pegasus. It's a flying horse, guys. It's a 2-1. Uh, it flies. 
Non-creature spells cost one more to cast. So Thalia as a horse, low rider that flies. Are you telling us this has flying does what? <laughs> this, this, you will, you if, if SCG still broadcast <laughs> Legacy Opens, you will see this card on camera for at least the first couple of weeks as people try it out. If it's any Pegasus that makes it into Constructed, this is probably it. <laughs> <laughs> like, Thal- like, you know what's worse than dying to Thalia? Two Thalias. It's, like, you can't recover from that, right? If you get two Thalias down, it's over. But you um, could already do that with Glowrider. Like, but no Glowrider one... does nothing. Glow li- glow, yeah, Glowrider doesn't fly, man. So let, let me tell you other shitty creatures that fly that are paid <laughs> in death <laughs> taxes. Uh, was there an Avenger, the two to cast three three? Hey, All it does is fly that's a good card. Even <laughs> Mind Sensor, a 3 to cast 2-1, fly. Granted, it has flash, but it just disrupts your opponent, right? So, you know, the Wing Mare could take the slot of Aven Mind Sensor. Um, not having flash kind of sucks, but a 2-1 flying kills a Delver. It carries a sword. It carries a Batter Skull. I mean, not only that, it makes, like, any 2-drop basically unplayable, right? Wait, two drop? you're not going to cast an Abrupt Decay for four mana in a, le- in a Legacy game. Like, you can't like, even cast it. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, what I'm saying. You can't even, like, I don't even think you can cast it all game. Like, if you haven't had the pleasure of slowly dying to death in taxes as they wasteland Rashad and port you with a folly on the ground, like, throw in the extra <laughs> the extra tax and, like, like you, you could, can't do you anything. Could prob- yeah, like, you could probably barely even cast the Lightning Bolt that would kill this. Yeah. The, the thing you need to remember <laughs> is most most Legacy decks, just cantrip. All they yeah. do is they actually have like 10 relevant spells in their deck and they just cantrip usually <laughs> find the right ones. So this kind of like shuts them down twice as hard. So I think it has potential. I don't think it's garbage. I don't think people can write it off. But it may end up being like Spirit of Labyrinth where obviously it's a good card but there's just nothing to cut to put it in. Um, you know, not being a legendary means you can't bounce it with Krakus. Uh, you know, being three means you gotta take your vial up to three, which you may not want to do. You might want to keep it on two, uh, to bounce Thalia and replay her. I, I think a lot of people will definitely test this, this Pegasus, and we well, might see it pop up. Why don't you just play the mono Glow Rider deck then? Just play like this Glow Rider, Thalia, Thorn of Amherst. Cause you need like, to win. Dude, <laughs> Glow Rider's not happening, man. It's just not. <laughs> but, you need but this, to actually all win. Glow Rider. Seth, this is Glow Rider. It's Glow Rider, and no one plays Glow Rider. Because like, Glow Rider stinks. Yes, but then this stinks. That's no, what I'm trying to say. because it has flying, dude. Flying. Oh. It's called evasion. Yeah. Everything is oh. everything is forgiven because it has flying. But the thing is, if the point of the card is it locks your opponent out of the game if you cast it after Thalia, Glow Rider does that just as well. Like, if that's the main reason to play this card. But, if like, you wanna, if you're facing if you down wanna... a Tarmogoyf, <laughs> right? Like, uh, if... you may have locked him up, but that Goyf is going to finish you off by himself, so... But if you want to beat down, like, do you really want a 2-1 flyer for 3? Like, if the big deal is, oh, it flies, like, yeah, it'll kill him in 20 turns. No, you, you equip a sword to it, or you <laughs> equip a batter skull to it, and now you're racing Yo, a Tarmogoyf instead of... Listen, if Gurmag Angler sees play over Tombstalker because it's one less black, <laughs> I think this could see play because this is one more generic, Seth, okay? <laughs> uh, Flying is a big deal. I'm going to make a deck with Gurmag Angler and Wingmare. <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw in a Gatekeeper Malakir just for just for the hell of it. 
<laughs> I'll show you guys the power of legacy. <laughs> MTG Goldfish Podcast, making amazing decks. I, I'm gonna grind since, tournaments so since get, episode one, so I can get my deck list posted <laughs> as a top eight competitor. <laughs> hey man, you made this. You made this in a top eight de- top eight deck lists. I mean, I, I I think I've seen it all. Bold bold prediction. We will see Wingmare in a top you know in a top eight uh, premier IQ legacy list. Within a month. I, I don't think that's the craziest thing. That, that will definitely around. happen. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it could happen. Uh, we'll see. As I'm a one-off, like somewhere? It comes I'm up. taking the under. <laughs> <laughs> You're taking the under glow rider. The under glow rider, <laughs> yes. It's a flying <laughs> horse, man. <laughs> it's going to win. <laughs> yeah, if anything, the Pegasus gives it the last you know, extra jump. It is so the best Pegasus of all time. I'll give it that. I don't, you don't know think it's that. better than the, the Mesa? What is that thing? Mesa? The one that makes Sacred Pegasus? Mesa? Yeah. The, what is it? Sacred, Sacred Mesa? Mesa. That was good. Yeah, there yeah, we go. Sweet. But wow. still, that's, that's not a Pegasus. Pegasus. That's a Pegasus. That's, that's the bitter blossom of It's Pegasus. like the haven of all Pegasus. <laughs> <laughs> this card really sucks now that I it. <laughs> I used to think it was so good. <laughs> you need a yeah. lot of mana to make it work. You do. All right, moving on. Let's move to standard. Woodland Bellower. Four green green, six converted mana costs. It's a 6-5 beast. When it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a non-legendary green creature with converted mana cost three or less and put it into the battlefield. Shuffle your library. Crap. Yeah. Can't, fi- can't find Nissa automatically rich. <laughs> That's just how it, this is how it roll, man. Are there any three mana four fours? Uh, no, there's, there's, yeah, Nuck? there's a uh, knuckle blade. Is he? He's not. Oh, he's not legendary. Hmm. Oh. So Bellower, is this like Primeval Titan six mana ten power uh, or Grave Titan? I guess. Well, I mean, and I mean, I guess in Teamer, if you're playing a six mana, I mean, then you get this and knuckle blade. That's pretty scary. I'd uh, be kind of scared. Yeah. The thing is, though, like, is this plus a courser or a knuckle blade? Better than a Dragon Lord if you're gonna pay six or seven mana for something. And I don't think that's usually true. So, well, what Dragon Lord would you really be playing? Atarka, Dramoka. Well, Tarka's eight. So just assuming you're on the right, wait, a regular curve somewhere. Um, is Atarka eight or seven? I think it's seven, isn't it? Uh, it's eight. Is it eight? I don't. I don't remember. <sighs> Google. It is. Seven. Yeah, so one more mana, you get to plague wind your opponent's board and have an 8-8 flyer, or you can play this at 6 <laughs> and have a 6-6 vanilla creature and a courser on turn 7. 6-5. Six, 6-5. Five. Six, five. Even <laughs> even worse. Uh, no, yeah, I'm I'm not making I'm I'm just playing Devil's Advocate, but I'm not behind this card whatsoever. Yeah. Like I said, does not get Nissa. I instantly wrote it off. All right. Bulk <laughs> Mythic. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Uh, okay, how about uh, this one? Archangel of Tides. One Not colorless, white, white, white. Four converted mana cost. Uh, three, five, angel flying. As long as it is untapped, creatures can't attack you or a planeswalker you control unless their controller pays one for each of those creatures. As long as Archangel of Tides is attacking, creatures can't block unless their controller pays one for each of those creatures. 
All right, so let's just get this out of the way. Does this go into legacy at all, Richard? Why would it go into legacy? <laughs> into what like next? A vile, like a vile like, target? So definitely not death and taxes. It doesn't really tax your opponent in any meaningful way. Um, you know, like, if they're going to attack you with a goyf, they can pay one mana, right? Like, that's not okay. usually the bottleneck. Like, usually the taxing is that prevents you to play any spells. So I don't think, you know, it's not clear to me where it would go in Legacy. It's definitely not a death and taxes cards, I don't think. Um, but, you know, like a some kind of all-in white weenie deck it could go into, but it, it just plays the same role as it would in Standard or Modern. Right. Yeah, so I don't, so Legacy's probably out on this. Modern, I think it could get there in Modern. I think it could get there. I mean, that green-white, like, little kid, like, Junker or green-white hate bears already plays Wilt Leaf Leech. So that's a four-mana card. I mean, this seems better in certain instances than Wilt Leaf Leech. Triple White's can be pretty hard to cast. Well, it doesn't matter if you have Vile. Oh, yeah. I guess if you violated. Right. I don't know. I'm more excited for Standard. Yeah, I don't think I can see much play outside of Standard, personally. I mean, technically, Wilt Leaf Leech is either triple... Well, I, it has the hybrid. It's a hybrid cost, like a, so it's Yeah, it's a little bad. easier. Well, and that comes down and busts your whole team a lot when it comes into play. Like, it has a much bigger immediate impact, I think. Well, it, 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 do, it, it, it does, but, like, against, like, a deck like Splinter Twin, like, yeah, you have, like, five, five creatures, but you just lose. Like, yeah. I highly doubt they can pay the one mana for a million creatures. Yeah. If that's what you really wanted to do, though, Windborn uses legal and modern, right? And that's basically just a ghostly prison on a flying body that's easier to cast. Yeah, I guess so. I guess you could make that argument. What was that card? Windborn Muse? Yeah, I guess. So, I, I don't know. I think in Standard, I really like... I think that there's a white aggro deck out there. I'm sure Craig Wesco will show us uh, it at the upcoming Pro Tour. Upcoming but... Pro Tour champion Craig Wesco? <laughs> yes. This, he has to be this the card seems absolutely broken, right? Like. Yeah. Literally, it's a turn four falter, right? Because most likely your opponent's going to, you know, tap out the caster, you know, whatever the heck they were going to cast. So you just slap down this angel. You get a free swing at your opponent. And then now they have to deal with a 3-5 flying, plus they're taxed in, like, both ways. They can't attack or block you, right? So um, the only way, they, they have to, like, somehow sweep. And this thing doesn't die to languish, right? So No, that's actually pretty relevant. Like, it's really hard to fight with creatures. Right, so I think this card is absolutely broken. So let's see what Craig Resco can do with it. For, for standard. For standard. For standard. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So All Craig Resco right, so, has a really strong card pool. <laughs> this time verdict for the verdict pool. is standard. Very good for standard. Probably not that good in other forms. Yeah, that's my feelings on it. And I think even in standard, it's basically like a mono white or like maybe mono white splash green or something. But you can't just jam yeah. this in like Abzan or something because triple white no. is really rough. Yeah, triple Yeah, triple white is pretty rough. Yeah. I'm still hoping for Honor of the Pure, guys. <laughs> I mean, it, it could it could go like somewhere in some sideboard in a modern deck somewhere. I don't know. But yeah, then you just made the point like, why wouldn't you just play Seaborn or Windborn Muse or something like that? I don't know. Because it doesn't die to bolt? I mean, I guess that makes a difference. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's possible if he's playing modern, but I think the odds of it are pretty uh, relatively small. Yeah, you're probably right on that. Can we see a white devotion deck? Does Heliod uh, do anything useful? He makes creatures. 
He makes creature tokens. I mean, he's just he's a five six. So that's not bad. Because you you can Indestruct- cast indestructible five. What's six. that white knight knight of the orchard knight, knight of the white orchid? orchid? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, if that, if it's any time, yeah. So you got a lot of white mana symbols going on, and these are all like legitimate creatures. So you're not just playing like shitty creatures to get your devotion. You got you got Kytheon, you got Knight of the White Orchid, you got this. Oh, but when Gideon flips, he loses his mana symbol. No, <laughs> no, anti devotion. <laughs> all right, Soldier of the Pantheon, you still have. Oh, how awkward is that? Someone's gonna flip their planeswalker and turn off their Helion. It's gonna happen <laughs> to someone. They're gonna be that so would bad. suck. <laughs> that would probably suck, but. It is what it is, man. All right. Uh, so last card we're going to talk about, uh, Hallowed Moonlight. So one colorless, one white. It's an instant. Uh, until end of turn, if a creature would enter the battlefield and it wasn't cast, exile it. Draw a card. What do you guys think? I I don't know. I, I, th- I mean, I, it's a good card. I, I saw Sam Black tweet about it, and he didn't really like the card. I don't really know why. But I think... I mean, I, I guess it could see play somewhere. It turns off Collected Company. It does. It turns off, like, Horling Outburst and other weird things like that as well. And it cycles itself. So I think, you know, it, it's you know it's obviously dependent on the metagame, but it turns off a lot of interesting things. You know, uh, Does it turn off Death Mister after? Yep. Yep. So it does a lot it of It turns things. off Snake Attack. Is there a card like this in modern already? No, that's where I think oh, this like card has potential. Like the there for legacy, right? So this this has no this is meaningless for legacy, or it's not that big of an impact. Is it really? Yeah. You have containment priest. You have graft. Oh, you have graft diggers cage. That's like kind of that's but modern this, eco. That kind of does what this does. Yeah, I guess if you're playing this, you're playing well. Yeah, I guess you're playing containment priest if you're playing this in legacy, right? Yeah, and usually you would, but I, like I don't know, maybe some like some deck that wants spells will play this. But we have Graft Digger's Cage that usually gets the job done. Like American, uh, yeah, but then you would just play Containment Priest anyway, wouldn't you? Or unless you're playing like some weird uh, like Stone Blade with. Uh... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So if you if you wanted a creature based right. way of doing it, you had Containment Priest. If you wanted a non creature based way, you have Graft Digger's Cage. Yeah. Containment Priest doesn't draw you a card. That's true, but... Why didn't they just reprint Containment Priest? Like, why this and not a legitimate, exciting reprint from a low-supply commander deck? Because this is a new card. It's also very exciting in its own right. Yeah. It cycles. It cycles. How bad could it be? (laughs) And it's a spell. You get prowess triggers. You get young pyromancers. And there is precedent for cards with... This sort of value, like Shadow of Doubt, for example. Like, people yeah. play one or two copies main deck. Because it cycles, even if it doesn't do anything else, you can cycle it for two mana. So maybe this will show up in Modern just because of that. Like, cycling for two isn't that bad. Considering Splinter Twin is one of the top decks out there, I would assume, yeah. But it only gives you a one-turn reprieve from Splinter Twin. Like, that's, and that's good. Like, living another turn and getting another draw step is good, but it's not like it solves the problem. No, yeah. but you, I mean, well, you, you, you can draw you a card start, and do something, yeah. and you get to untap, right? So now you have sorcery speed way of dealing with Splinter Twin. Yeah. You survive a turn and draw a card from this, and then you're on, on tap phase and your card for your turn. So, Like, to me, this signals Wizards is a bit wary about Collected Company. 
Yeah. Like to me, this is like the collected company hoser, and we've seen that card start popping up everywhere. So Wizards is like, well, here you go, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> keep it under control. Hopefully, this works. <laughs> yeah, we printed it. We kind of knew it would be good, so we're giving you a card in the next set to help out. The thing is, it, it incidentally hits a lot of things. It's like Hordling Outburst gets countered by this, so that's like really weird, right? Or like, yeah, you know, any kind of token that comes into play, any blink effect. Um, yeah, stop, stop your spy network, Chaz. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're only tossing away one one thopter. What, 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 there's plenty more where that came. From. <laughs> uh, spy network forever. <laughs> All right, so that's, that's all the spoilers. My network laughs in the face of this card. <laughs> I, I think the opponent wins by you casting the Hopter Spy Network. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Four mana an entire turn casting that? All right. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's I think that's all the spoilers, right? Those are all the that interesting we wanted to talk about. about. Talk yeah. About. So let's let's do the fish mail. We have, a, we have a lot of fish mail that we didn't really get to get to in the last cast so let's let's get through these fish mail there's some really good fish mail in there all right so this one was sent to me by trent he's been playing magic since 1995 he sent me a very long question which i will condense into um basically on magic online the foil multipliers of cards are pretty inconsistent so for modern master 2015 he cracked a foil bitter blossom and his foil multiplier was basically one um, when he looked at other cards like a Foil Hooded Hydra, Clever Impersonator, Pearl Lake Ancient, they're one to two dollar rares in real life, but they're fifty dollars uh, or fifty tickets on Magic Online. Uh, so what what gives? What why why are some Magic Online foils abnormally high? The the foil tickets is fifty on a Hooded Hydra, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the the normal one is like a dollar, and then the foil one is like fifty on Magic Online. Which is like the same amount of tickets as a foil bitter blossom? Uh, I don't know how much foil bitter blossom is, but the foil bitter blossom is exactly the same price as a non foil bitter blossom. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of things going on in this question. Um, well, go ahead, Jess. Yeah, you two are the moto guys, so I'll have you guys really answer. I just want to interject that like this does happen in the paper side quite often as well. So um, sometimes there's real no good explanation. And sometimes, you know, very quickly they uh, correct themselves. So. Well, on the Moto side, uh, there's like three or four points that are worth making here. For one thing, foils are extremely unpopular on Magic Online. So when you opened your foil Bitter Blossom, the problem is people don't want a foil Bitter Blossom. They want a normal Bitter Blossom. So actually, foils in a lot of cases actually are worth less than non-foils. For Modern Masters, like, I opened a Fulminator Mage. It's worth a ticket or two less than a non-foil Fulminator Mage. And that's just because people don't want foils. They look kind of funky. People don't really care about foiling out their decks. So that's the first problem. Although I will say, too, if you're looking to build a collection on Magic Online, check the foil prices because sometimes you can find really good deals and actually get foils at a significant discount compared to just buying a non-foil version. So that's step one. Step two is redemption comes into play. Modern uh, Masters is not redeemable, but Hooded Hydra in standard legal sets are. So there's a bottleneck basically in Magic Online when it comes to Mythics. When someone redeems a set, they need to redeem one of every card from Mythics all the way down to Uncommons. 
So when a mythic gets redeemed, it leaves the system, and there's just not that many foil mythics to go around. So that jacks up the prices extremely high on the foil mythics. As you'll see, the total set price isn't really affected. It evens out because the rares and uncommons and commons are worth less. But most of the value of a foil set is concentrated in mythics, even crappy mythics. So those are probably the two main points from my perspective, I think. That makes sense. Yeah, so the pro tip is when you're drafting a Magic Online, if you get a foil mythic, always, always, always take it. It is always like 10 plus tickets, no matter how crappy that card is. Uh, all foil mythics on Magic Online that are redeemable are crazy expensive. So I've had people pass me like jank foil mythics because they didn't know, right? They, they just thought, ah, you know, they... They they were happy taking their uh, their fetch land or whatever. I'm like, haha, you know, foil mythic mine. <laughs> so foil mythics are worth an absurd amount on Magic Online. And so the the, the, the crux of this example was, uh, I believe, uh, Modern Masters 2015 is not redeemable, so its price is right. just you know whatever. It, it doesn't get the inflated. Mythics, yeah, the mythics in redeemable sets are worth a considerable amount more, right? Yeah. Right. Yep. Is what you meant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that, I think that answers the question uh, perfectly. Like I said, in paper, there's there's always like very low spread sometimes, um, or multiplier, I should say, on uh, specific um, foils and non-foils, and sometimes like there's really no good reason, and you know they just end up being the same, almost the same price for a long time until uh, the card is actually um, hyped or somehow starting to get bought. Um, if not, then, yeah, it does happen sometimes. All right, so moving on to a tweet from Dragon 7284 How do you know when to sell reserveless cards? What would you look at, what would you look at turning reserveless cards into? So, reserveless cards. Go ahead, Seth. I'll, I'll let you answer first. It's a I, tough question. That it is a tough question. Because usually the common wisdom is to trade into reserveless cards because they're generally a safe place to hold value. Uh, so I don't know who, what the right time really is. Like, I guess one answer would be if you don't need the cards anymore and you're not interested in playing them and you want to trade for other reserveless cards, trade into a different yeah. legacy deck. Um, otherwise, I don't know what the real motivation is. Maybe if you're trading into like power or some like really high-end investment type cards. Otherwise, I don't think there's a very good reason to trade your reserveless cards into standard cards or something along those lines. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I would never... If you're sitting on like high-end reserveless cards, I mean, trading them for anything but other reserveless cards uh, just doesn't make any sense. I mean, I wouldn't trade them for standard cards either. And probably wouldn't really trade them for modern either. Um, but that's just me. I mean, if you really loved modern and you were up for playing modern all the time, then I guess it would make sense that sitting on a couple reserveless cards that you can't play and you want to turn them into cards that you will play, that makes sense. If anything, I mean, if I was sitting on like power or a mock, yeah, mocks, you know, power, stuff like that, I mean, I would probably look to move them into, like, a set of duels or something like that, like a full set of duels, in case you wanted to play any kind of deck in Legacy, uh, that would probably be my first move if I were to move my reserve list stuff. Honestly, there's really never a good time. I mean, it's always, a, I guess, a good time to move them because they're always kind of going to maintain their price. But um, I guess that 
is the best way I can answer that. So I guess any, any time is the right time. I don't know. <laughs> but no time's the right time either. But no time is the right time. Yeah, it, it, like, it works both ways. So, I don't know, Richard? I, I, I don't know. It's it's They're basically going to keep going up in price until one of two things happen. Uh, Magic the Gathering itself crumbles and no one plays it anymore. Yeah, or that, Wizards that's... abolishes yeah. the uh, reserve list. Reserve, yeah. So... If you don't believe any of these will happen, you know, I would do what Chaz and, and Seth kind of recommend, which is just trade within the reserve list. I mean, you can always speculate within the reserve list. All the cards don't move up at the same uh, pace, um, but I would just keep them in play, you know, with the cards. And, you know, if you really think a Doomsday event is coming, then I would just get out of it and not buy any other magic cards, right? Because uh, if, if the reserve list falls... Uh, nothing is sacred anymore. <laughs> Everything will be reprinted, yeah. right? So I don't know what you would try to move your stuff into. Uh, so, um, yeah, I would just keep them, or if you want to cash out, then cash out and do something else. Buy a car, buy a house, whatever. I don't know how many cars you have. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't... I mean, I, were, I would say that before the game coming to an end, that the reserve list would probably come to an end, but I just don't think that you can really contractually actually do that. So I think... Uh, you know, reserve list might just end up going along with the end of Magic because I don't really think they can break that at this point. Uh, they could always print better cards. I, I, someone's right. Got like if they, if they, if they got to a list that has right, a better yeah. version. Like it's hard to print a better dual land, but there are other cards on the reserve list that may get a uh, a better version of. Another consideration that is probably a whole cast worth is the impact of these forgeries, which have been increasingly yeah. talked about in the community and whether or not that could force wizards to do something about the reserve list. Uh, but I think that is something that wouldn't happen until down the road and probably requires a lot more time than we have right now to really discuss. Yeah. Uh, so, Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's all for the... There was another fish mail that asked about walkers. We talked about walkers pretty extensively last cast. Um, so... Uh, I think you got your fill of walkers. Uh, thank you for the questions, everyone. Um, I think that's it for the fish mail, right? Uh, I think so. Yep. Yeah. So good questions. Um, so we have one more topic for you guys. This is a big one. And um, so, Richard, go ahead with the announcement. Uh, so they're changing the way mulligans are going to work um, just for the Pro Tour. So they're, they're going to... Uh, make a decision after. I guess they're using the Pro Tour as a test run. Why use the biggest tournament? I don't know, but the, the new rule change is basically uh, you will mulligan as normal, and after both players have decided on uh, their starting hand, if you mulligan at all, you get to scry one. So, theoretically... Awesome. Well, well, not only that, they they specifically change the way people have to order their cards on camera as well. Yeah, pretty oh, yeah. much the, the screw you Adrian Sullivan rule. We'll talk about yeah, that so. second, because that actually has some <laughs> right. great implications. But. Um, now, so I've been getting questions about this. So this is just for on-camera, like featured matches on camera. The, the way you arrange your cards... Uh, so they basically said, you know, you can't put your, your land in front of your creatures and things like that. Your cards must face, you know, up towards you. Um, but that's only for feature matches. But the mulligan rule is for everything at the Pro Tour. Yep. So just to get that confusion out of the way. 
So this is a so they said it's going to start at the Pro Tour, and then if it's you know well received at the Pro Tour, this could end up being you know the ongoing rule for Magic the Gathering uh, going forward. So this drastically changes like some some things. So uh, what are your impressions of it, Richard? So practical things, um, a scry land on the draw is significantly worse now, right? Like if you mulliganed and then, uh, you know, you, you get to scry one, you can't even play your scry land on turn one because you, if you kept the card, you keep it again. Uh, things like Delver get a big boost. On the draw, you get a free scry. You get a free chance to flip your Delver on your first draw phase. Um, so, like, mechanically, it actually changes the game. It does weird things. Now you got to think... If I kept the one lander, I get an extra scry in here as well. Like, uh, should I keep this hand or not? And you kind of had this decision to make if you had, you know, a, a scry land already. So I don't think it changes that much in terms of decision making. Um, personally, I don't like the change. I think part, one of the things of magic is consistency. That's something you, you build into your deck. And this rewards, or it gives you some free consistency. So it, it makes one of the, the deck building aspects and it takes it away. So I don't personally like it. I don't know why they had to change it. I guess there's too many people getting frustrated mulliganing to five and not finding any lands or whatever. Um, but, you know, play more lands, right? Play Brainstorm, right? Like, that's what these cards are for. So it confuses me that they make this change and it confuses me that the, the way they time it and the way uh, they're introducing it, you basically can't practice it at FNM, right? You kind of just got to go to the Pro Tour and play and hope it works. So... It's a little weird, but most people seem to like it, so we'll see how how it plays out. They might not admit this, but I think this is directly influenced by the popularity of Hearthstone. I was just about to say that. Ooh. You think? I was just about to say that. Absolutely. Why? Do you think there's less field ads in Hearthstone? uh, Absolutely. But you you have to... There's less field ads in Hearthstone, but you have to remember, you draw three cards in Hearthstone. Like... It's not seven, like, and the the deck formatting and in Hearthstone is totally different. Like, it's to- two totally different games. Like, I don't understand why they have to do this. I think people don't want to mull the five. Like, you know, when you watch a feature match, someone mulls five, you're like, well, well, that was terrible, right? Right, so, but does does Scry one just make you like any less screwed? It does, because you you might you might keep six and you Scry one and hope you get there, right? Basically, what it does, they've talked about how. Counterspell is too good at two mana, but Cancel is slightly too bad at three mana, so two and a half mana would be perfect. Basically, what this rule does is makes it so you mulligan to six and a half cards or five and a half cards instead of six cards or five cards. Like a scry is worth almost half of a half of a draw step. So basically, instead of mulliganing a full card, you mulligan half a card, which adds a little bit more consistency to your deck. But uh, and tries to make it so there's not as many blowouts, especially on yeah. camera, which people don't like to watch. Which I get, and that's what I think the Hearthstone point comes in. Like, that doesn't really happen in Hearthstone from my limited experience. Like, you don't have games where one player just literally plays nothing the whole time, right? You guys play Hearthstone more than I do. Oh, you can get bad cards. So the way you, the you, Hearthstone yeah. mulligan works yeah. is you, you get a hand, and you choose the cards you want to throw back, and you get uh, replacement cards, and you have to keep At the result. So you could have a terrible hand, you throw back four, you get four more terrible hands, and that's the magic equivalent of mulling the four, right? But, you know, you get to choose which cards you want to throw back, so... Well, then they also... You have you also have, like, the added thing of, like, the coin and all that, and, like, that, that's just... Like, so you don't get 
immediately blown out, but, but Rich is right. I mean, you can draw just terrible hands in Hearthstone and lose. Like, and the other thing is Hearthstone has a hero power, so at minimum, your turn to do nothing is still do something. Well, in, Whereas in Magic, your do nothing is literally do nothing. And you don't have games where one person plays uh, mulligans to six or five and plays one land and sits there for five turns and never draws another land. No, you yeah. get that resource resource every turn. In yeah, you get the resource. You get a free land drop every turn. So the way the game is built intrinsically, you can't really be screwed. Um, but it's like Magic where like you can just get all the wrong cards and even though you're doing stuff, you're doing the wrong stuff and you lose. Um, but you don't get that really like I did nothing. But it doesn't look as bad on camera. Like if you're watching the game, it looks like something's happening. Even if a uh, expert player knows that the person has no chance of winning, yeah. they're still making land drops, activating hero power. So if you're a new person that turns in and watches the stream, it doesn't look as frustrating and as bad as one a person playing one land and doing nothing and discarding for five turns and then scooping. Definitely. Right. You mean for Hearthstone? Right. The new wait, wait. Like, if you were watching, yeah. If you were watching yeah. the stream of Hearthstone, yeah, I totally get that. I mean. At this point, like, I don't know, like, if Scry 1 on a mulligan is, like, the the answer. Like, I mean, it makes it better, right? Like, it, obviously, it worse. makes it better. So <laughs> right. I don't know if it's the answer, and I guess that's why they're they're trying something. But I, I'm going to have to agree with Seth. I, I think it's directly because of Hearthstone. I, I have to say, there's there's no reason other, after 25 years, that they would suddenly do this. Yeah. Like, that's why I don't understand, like... Why I changed the mulligan yeah, like, why after now? so long? And, like, what, what does it really accomplish? I think Seth nailed it. And not to say, like, one game is better than the other. Like, obviously, one game has been around for a, quite a long time. And the other, like, there's obviously pros and cons to each, to each game. And one, obviously, has been around for a long time and is successful. The other one's successful, too, obviously. But, I mean, yeah, Seth made a good point. Like, you're, you are doing something in Hearthstone even with a terrible hand, I mean, you're probably still going to lose, but at least you have, like, a chance to do something. Maybe this is the direct, like, the putting magic in the right direction that, you know, you don't just, oh, my mulligan to six, I, I lose. Like, an auto lose from a mulligan. And, and I think it comes into play mostly with new players or players that are playing Hearthstone that Wizards wants to attract to magic. Like, yeah. Players like us, players that have been playing for 10 or 20 years, we understand the variance of Magic. We might even like it. Matt Sperling wrote a really good article defending yeah. his love of Magic because of the variance, which isn't there in Hearthstone. But for someone that's deciding which game to start and watching a stream or playing their first games, I could see those players being really affected by the bad feelings of the variance in Magic that you don't have in Hearthstone. Right. I mean, it's always going to be like the the kind of argument like that has been around forever, like even in video games and that could require an entire different cast, but just to touch on it briefly, like you're always going to have the people who love like league of legends. And then you're going to love the people that are like, Oh, well league of legends is just the easier version of Dota. And you're always going to have like those dissenting arguments. Well, you know, Hearthstone is just easier than magic. Like, yeah, magic, you do have like the feel bads, but you know, it's more intricate and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know. I think this is a, like I said, I think this is a good change. I mean, I don't know where, what more they can do other than like a scry one. I mean, like, what, like next time, like you mulligan, you get a free land? Like, I don't know, like, how you much just more did they the can do. Just choose the cards you want to throw back. Right? Yeah, like, exactly. That, that's but, more of a guarantee, but that makes but, everyone super consistent, but that will definitely fix your mana screw issues. Well, and the problem with doing something like, 
Spry 1 isn't that big of a change. Like, I don't expect this to have a huge impact on the games we see at the Pro Tour. If you do something where you can just throw back the cards you don't want, that breaks decks like Belcher, Combo decks, where you can throw back the pieces you don't need and hope to find the pieces you do need. Yeah, and... and but so does the Scry 1, right? Like... But Scry 1 is, like, such a small benefit compared to being able to toss back, like, some number of your hand or, yeah, like... Yeah, I think... The old like, select... Yeah, I, I don't know. I think in Legacy this will be a big deal. And the question is, is it a big enough deal to go second? <laughs> right? uh, I don't think it is I because think... going first has a lot of benefits. But yeah. basically a scry is like a full turn. Like you, you get to see a full turn, right? And the person on the the person on the um, the draw. Wait, yeah, the person on the draw will get to not do. They get to draw that card, right? They want to keep it. But are you really I mean, gonna... I'm not gonna. I, I don't think I'm gonna want to sacrifice seven cards to look at six cards. No, no, no but like, say you mulliganed already, right? Like, oh, yeah. It, yeah. it makes mulliganing a lot less harsh. Oh, obviously. So absolutely. It, makes, absolutely. it makes decks like, um, like, say, a Seth's budget video this week. It's like <laughs> these all in decks that are totally inconsistent, right? But when they're, when they're on, they annihilate. Like, yeah, it, it meant... increases the power level of those decks. Right, but then take it one step further where you draw, like Seth draws a seven, you know, seven cards, picks and chooses like four of them, puts four back, and gets four new cards. Yeah, I'm saying that's that's also that makes it much worse. The Hearthstone way like increases the power level like way too bad as well. Right, yeah, and like not to not to knock and uh, again like Hearthstone would probably take another whole like cast if we ever talked about it uh, that much, but um, you know, Hearthstone for the majority, kind of devolves into very, uh, quote-unquote, rushed decks for anyone out there that plays Hearthstone. I mean, a majority of people play very aggressive decks, and it's because, like, you can really craft a very good hand from the beginning. I don't know. It, it's totally two, diff- to- two totally different games. But I think, the, the I think pre- we all share the same opinion. Like, why, why do this? <laughs> what is the point? Like, what, yeah. what exactly was broken? And why do it at the Pro Tour? You know, like, of all well, times Seth- to do this. Can they do it during the community cup or something? You know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. some other event. Yeah, I think like, Seth nailed it because people don't want to see that kind of stuff on camera. I mean, especially like at the highest level, uh, Pro Tour, like the Pro Tour is the highest level of Magic: The Gathering in terms of, uh, you know, tournament EV. You know, just seeing someone mulligan and then just get completely blown out is like not very exciting. All right. So, so the other two aspects of the the announcement. So, oh yeah, one was they can use video evidence. Uh, so th- there's going to be like basically instant replay. Instant replay. replay. <laughs> <laughs> there's going to be somebody in the control center watching the game and they can uh, buzz down to the, the, the previous play is under review. <laughs> so, all, so we won't have these weird many... incidents where on camera clearly they know how to reverse the situation, but they're technically not allowed to because they can't use the camera. So they're fixing that. So so that's good. I don't think anyone has any. All plays under that. two minutes are being our booth reviews. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is, they, Magic has said basically, lands in front of creatures is wrong, right? They're they're no longer allowing this, and you know your graveyard must be in a certain position, and your cards must be in a certain position, which I found was weird. Um, I think I think it's the same thing. It's it's making coverage accessible yeah. to new players. Like when an, if you've ever been in the Twitch chat when Adrian Sullivan plays, um, the whole shift focuses from the game to how his cards are arranged on the battlefield. So like are they going to ban altars now? Because they should ban altars. 
Like, have you uh, watched, I mean, like, I, a legacy I, open where some guy comes in with, like, every dual land altered and the casters, yeah, I, like, don't even know what the hell's going on because they can't and, recognize the cards? To me, those are, to me, those are useless dual lands. And, and remember, this is only for on-camera feature matches. Yeah. You can play however you want to through the whole rest of the tournament, but the one round that Adrian Sullivan is on tournament, or he makes it to the finals and you have 20,000 people watching, like, he has to play the cards in the, the way that Moto arranges, <laughs> arranges the cards, basically. And the way that a new player will understand from watching all the other matches. I, I'm I'm not against streamlining video coverage. I mean, it just makes sense. I mean, you can't just have shit all over the place. Like, <laughs> I think it makes sense, but it's it's really weird. It's one of these like expression things that part of the reason yeah, of Magic think, is like you can do whatever you want, and they kind of just took that away. But logistically, it it totally makes sense. Yeah. Right? I mean, and again, I, like like Seth said, I mean, if you're on a video coverage, I mean, I think you can suck it up for one. The yeah, problem is things curves. like Legacy Elves, where they like flip their cards upside down to indicate abilities being used. You can no longer do that. So, really, is will that really come into play in that? You think? Will oh, they... def- have you seen like if you watch Legacy Elves when they go off, it's very hard to keep track. Well, but do you think they'll enforce it at that level when there's like they have to right? a reason for it? If you, if you flip your card upside down, you're violating the rule, right? Yeah, I guess. Like to really? me, that. What makes about sense. graveyards? Are you allowed to spread your graveyard? You know how people like. As long out? as it's adjacent to the uh, deck, your your Does actual deck. Does it have to be a pile though? You I, know how when there's a lot of delve or flashbacks? Right, right. They, they kind of like start banning it out. out. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think you can do that as long as it's up against the deck. I hope so because if you ever watch Dredge in Legacy, yeah. you have no idea what's going on unless they can spread out <laughs> Dredge the Dredge in one pile. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the good news is there's no more Legacy coverage, so all of these problems <laughs> go away. <laughs> yeah, so I guess they didn't have to worry about all that. cards are designed to be played in the the standard layout <laughs> <laughs> approved by Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I guess we don't have to worry about that too much. So big big changes in the in the Pro Tour level. Probably won't affect anyone in this cast or most people out there, uh, so we don't have to worry about that too much. But I mean, it's do you interesting. Think, do you think they're they're going to change the coverage this time around? Do you think it's going to be like the last pro tour, or do you think with this like renewed focus on presentation that you know we'll have a new overlay or the format of the pro tour or something will change? Because I'm get, I'm starting to get the feeling that they're doing something different with all this renewed focus on presentation. I mean, they're trying to attract people to the game. They're trying to, you know, up the viewer count, like, in, in Twitch. I mean, you know, they're, they're tr- or on any, like, streamed uh, service, I mean, they're trying to really streamline the game and, and make it, I mean, try to make that leap into 2015. I mean, to me, that it makes sense. I don't expect any huge changes to coverage. Like, hopefully it becomes more professional uh, and continues to go in that direction, but I don't think they're going to have a whole new Pro Tour format or anything crazy like that uh, based on these announcements. Well, I, I think something special will happen. I think because it's Magic Origins and they clearly have a focus, I think we'll see new segments or new overlay or... I don't know. Like, remember the first time they revealed, like, the helper, like, what's in your hand? I think we'll get something, like, along that line. I, hey, I man, think if it, if it there's, makes, a focus, yeah. there's a focus to look good. I mean, if it, if it makes the coverage you know that much better and it makes it more professional and streamlined i mean i i I don't see a problem with it it would be sweet to have actual hand cams like they have in poker or even if watch some of the streaming like vintage super league or something 
where you can see all the cards in the player's hands at all time. Oh, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see Brian Kibler. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's I think true. the way they do it today with the side panel thing is pretty good. Rather than trying to decipher, like, oh, I think that's that's a helmet. Or I think that's a... <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. What would be interesting yeah. is if they forced, like, a certain sleeve type or something eventually to, like, remove glare. Ooh. Remember, yeah, like, when Magic first was originally uh, broadcast, sleeves were disallowed because cards were not readable. Oh, yeah, you're right. playing with dual lands and crap without sleeves. <laughs> 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 and this is, like, when they were, old, like, they were, like, worth something already, but because of the glare... So Interesting. Maybe we'll we'll eventually get to that where you, you just get like a random proxy deck that they give you <laughs> so you can play <laughs> on camera. Makes sense. It doesn't really, but <laughs> <laughs> it should be right. like top eights. You know, the yeah. premier events. Like I'm sure you can afford to like just give someone a copy of the deck that Oh, what about the commander cards? Just like super large versions to play with. <laughs> just so it's readable on camera. <laughs> That would be kind of fun. No one can shuffle? <laughs> yeah, shuffling would be interesting. I mean, I think only maybe like four cards would end up even on the camera anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that does it for episode 25. Everyone, thanks for joining in for this week. Guys, it was a great cast. We'll do it next week. All right. Sounds good. All right, guys. See you guys. So more Origins and more to come.